The desire of Titus Women is to invite women around the world to know Jesus as their Savior, Center, and Source. May God guide and encourage you through this message by Beth Coppage. Okay, Numbers 22. Then the children of Israel moved and camped in the plains of Moab on the side of the Jordan across from Jericho. Now Balak, the son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done in the Amorites. And Moab was exceedingly afraid of the people because they were many. And Moab was sick with dread because of the children of Israel. So Moab said to the elders of Midian, Now this company will lick up everything around us as an ox licks up the grass of the field. And Balak, the son of Zippor, was king of the Moabites at that time. Then he sent messengers to Balaam, the son of Beor at Pithoth, which is there near the river in the land of the sons of his people, to call him, saying, Look, a people has come out of Egypt. See, they cover the face of the earth, and they are settling down next to me. Therefore, please come at once. Cause this people, curse this people for me, for they are too mighty for me. Perhaps I shall be able to defeat them and drive them out of the land. For I know that he whom you bless is blessed, and he whom you curse is cursed. So the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed from the divine, with the diviner's fee in their hand. And they came to Balaam, and they spoke to him these words. And he said to them, Lodge here tonight, and I will bring back word to you. As the Lord speaks to me, so the princess Moab lodged with him. Then God came to Balaam and said, Who are these men with you? And Balaam said to God, Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, has sent to me, saying, Look, a people has come out of Egypt and has covered the face of the earth. Come now, curse them for me. Perhaps I shall be able to overpower them and drive them out. And God said to Balaam, You shall not go with them. You shall not curse these people, for they are blessed. This is the key verse in this chapter. This is the will of God. Verse 12, God said, you shall not go, you shall not curse the people, they are blessed. So Balaam rose early in the morning and he said to the princes, go back to the land. For the Lord has refused to give me permission to go. And the princes of Moab rose and went to Balak and said, Balaam refuses to come with us. And Balak again sent princes, more numerous and more honorable they than they. And they came to Balaam, and they said, Thus says Balak, the son of Zippor, Please let nothing hinder you from coming to me, for I will certainly honor you greatly, and I will do whatever you say to me. Therefore, please come and curse this people. Then Balaam answered and said to the servants of Balak, Though Balak was to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could not go beyond the word of the Lord my God to do more or less. Now, therefore, please spend the night here tonight that I may know what more the Lord has to say on this subject. And God came to Balaam at night and he said, If the men come to call to you, rise and go with them, but only the word which I speak that you shall do. So Balaam rose in the morning, saddled his donkey, and went with the princes of Moab. Then God's anger was aroused because he went. And the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way as an adversary against him. And he was riding on his donkey, and his two servants were with him. 
Now the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand. And the donkey turned aside out of the way and went into a field. And Balaam struck the donkey to turn him back. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path between the vineyards with a wall on one side and a wall on the other. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pushed herself against the wall and crushed Balaam's foot. So he struck her again. Then the angel of the Lord went further and stood in a narrow place where there was no way either to turn to the right or to the left. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam. So Balaam's anger was aroused and he struck the donkey with his staff. Then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey. Gives hope to all of us, doesn't it? <laughs> he opened the and she said, And she said to Balaam, what have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? And Balaam talked back to the donkey, if you can believe it. He didn't faint, which tells you the hardness of his heart. Because you have abused me, I wish there were a sword in my hand and I would kill you. So the donkey said to Balaam, "Am uh, am I not your donkey on which you have ridden ever since I became yours? To this day, was I ever disposed to do this before? He said, no. And the Lord opened Balaam's eyes. And he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with a drawn sword in his hand. And he bowed his head and he fell flat on his face. And the angel of the Lord said, why have you struck your donkey three times? Behold, I have come to stand against you because your way is perverse before me. The donkey saw me and turned aside from me these three times. If she had not turned aside, I surely would have killed you. And Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned, for I did not know you stood in the way against me. If it displeases you, I will turn back. The angel of the Lord said to Balaam, Go. But only the word that I speak to you, you shall speak. So Balaam went with the princes of Balak. Now when Balak heard that Balaam was coming, he went out to meet him which on the, at, the, at the city of Moab, which is on the border of the territory. And Balak said to Balaam, Did I not earnestly send to you, calling for you? Why did you not come? Am I not able to honor you? And Balaam said to Balak, Look, I have come to you. Now have I any nor ha, now I have have I any power to say anything the word that God puts in my mouth that I must speak so Balaam went with Balak and they came to Kirjath Hazor and Balak offered oxen and sheep and he sent some to Balaam and to the princes who were with him so it was the next day that Balaam Balak took Balaam and brought him up to the high places of Baal And so that from there, he might observe the extent of the people of God. And I'd just like to read two verses in James 1. James 1, 14. Maybe I'll start at 13. Let no one say he is tempted. I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted for evil. Nor does he himself tempt anyone, but everyone is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. And then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, 
And when sin is full grown, it gives birth to death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Let's pray. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Oh, Jesus, we just love you today. We worship you today. Jesus, we long for you to come today. And would you teach us your word this morning so that we are never the same. Father, would you instruct us and teach us. We pray that you would transform our hearts, transform our minds, transform our spirits. And that you would use the word that's living and powerful to change our lives. Dear Jesus, would you come and teach today? Would you just take over? Would you just be in charge? And we all wait expectantly to hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen. I remember when I was in college that a a preacher spoke at the winter revival at Asbury College. Now, that dates me, doesn't it, winter revival? And his name was Myron Augsburger. And he spoke on Balaam. I don't remember anything he said. But I do remember walking back from the church to go back on Asbury's campus because I was a student at the time. And God said to me, right there by the Presbyterian church, the side of the Presbyterian church, I could take you to the spot. He said to me, Beth Coppage, you are a Balaam. I said, pardon me? I just have come out of revival. (laughs) You have the wrong woman. He said, no, it was just as clear. And I had a date that night and was walking next to my date. I was sure he probably heard it too, but he did. I don't think he did. He said, Beth, you are a Balaam. I said, Jesus, why? He said, I've asked you to do something, and you have refused to do it. You have disobeyed me, and you refuse to obey me. You are trying to talk me into your will for your life instead of submitting your will to my will. And he was absolutely right. He had nailed me. I never will forget this chapter. Because as I walked there by that Presbyterian church, a few years, a year and a half before, I had been dating this sweet person that was a Christian and we were down in Georgia, going, and it was a moonlit night, and I just liked him so much. We crossed a beautiful bridge in a state park, the moon's out, and all of a sudden God had come again to my heart. He doesn't come this clear very often, but he did that night, and he said to me, this is not the man. I said, oh. 
and I squashed that down. I said, I don't want to hear. I'm where would that come from tonight? I mean, beautiful sunshine. I said, no. And I said, that couldn't be the Lord. That's the devil. And I squished it down. But I knew in my heart, God had spoken to me, but I didn't want to hear it. I didn't want to hear it. I didn't want to listen. So I just squished it down and didn't listen. A year and a half later, ladies, I'm walking out of church. And God said, I spoke to you a year and a half ago. And you never have obeyed me. And you are in a relationship that is going to hurt his life and your life. It is not the right one. And do you know what? As I walked by the Presbyterian church, I said, Jesus, please help me to will to obey you no matter what it costs. But I cannot untangle myself from this relationship. It is too all-invasive in my life. And he said, will you give me permission to begin to get you out of it? And put you in the right one? And I said, yes. And ladies, I wouldn't be here today. Teaching the word. I wouldn't have Al, Billy, Susanna, Katie, Beth Cricket, Matt, Dan, Annie, Susanna, Abby, Sadie, Michael, and new baby. If I had said no to Jesus that night by the Presbyterian Church. It's a very personal testimony to start. But that's what we're talking about today in Balaam. God is not wanting to hurt us. God is wanting to bless our lives and bring us into the country. The, the, our possessions in him, which is Jesus himself and his will for our life, which is always sweeter and more real and more precious and more wonderful than we could ever ask, think, hope, and imagine. And I brought our picture back where he's knocking on the door because there may be one today that God at some point has said that you're not in the right relationship, you're not obeying me. And that's what this is about. Balaam did not want to hear God. And what are we, let's look at the word. The children of Israel moved forward. Hallelujah. They moved forward. I underlined it. They moved. They moved forward, not round in circles. Yippee, we're making progress. They moved forward. And they camped, actually, we've got Israel out of the wilderness, camped, and Moab, and the end of the last chapter, 21, they have defeated, um, the. Uh, they've defeated um, uh, the, the folks and I can't think of their names at the moment. <laughs> They've defeated the folks north of Moab. So that they came out against them and they've, they've defeated them. Sihon. They've defeated Sihon, taken all that Amorite territory right there. So they defeated them and come out. And as they have come out, do you know what has happened? Midian, Moab has gotten scared to death. Because here, was, here were the Amalekites and Sihon. And then Israel had come up that back road, remember. And then their Moab is here. The Amalekites are here. They defeated these people so they actually have taken possession of this land on the east of Jordan. Yippee. How many years? 
40 years later, they've got a little land. Wrong side of Jordan, but they've got a little. So now they're right poised to go into Jordan. Here's the Jordan River. There's Jericho. They're going to cross right over. So what do we have here? We have Moab is scared to death. Now, it's hard to believe Moab's scared of Israel, isn't it? And they're deathly afraid of them, and they're sick with dread. That was not the Israelites. That's the spirit of the Lord putting the fear on Moab. And in very ancient Near Eastern fashion, the thing that the king of Moab thought to do was put a hex on them. They had all, the, and so he said, I need a seer to come, uh, one that, that could come and curse these people before we take them on in battle. And, he, and, and it looks like Balaam had in some way met the eternal God. It doesn't tell us how. And it seems like he may have been in the region of the Euphrates, which could have been as far away as 400 miles. But his fame as a diviner or a seer of the future things was famous. So they figured this is the man, the man that blesses people, is they're blessed, and when he curses them, they're cursed. So he sent this very august group of Moabite princes with a diviner's fee to invite Balaam to come and curse the people of God. Now, and, and which is all very typical of how they did, they worked back then. And so Balaam evidently had, somehow had come to a relationship with the eternal God. Because as these princes of Moab come, he says to them, lodge here tonight. And you know he must have been quite flattered. If somebody comes from far away and says, we, we'd just like to invite you to come curse these folks for us. I mean, it means, well, I didn't know you knew about me that far away, you know. So, so there may have been a little element of pride here. So then what do we have here? He says, lodge here tonight. Now, ladies, in my heart, that's my first red flag. I've got little red flags in my Bible. That's my first red flag. Lodge here tonight. And I will bring back word to you as the Lord speaks to me. So the princes of Moab stayed with Balaam. And as there is no way, if Balaam was going to do what God wanted him to do and stay pure, those princes of Moab, the enemies of God's people, should never have been in his house. He should have said, what do you have to say to me? Please say it at the door. I'll ask God about it. I'm not quite sure, but please go down to the inn down at the end of the road. But he invites them into his house, and the princes, these are princes of Moab, are in the house of the prophet of God. Now, we have a communicating God. We've learned that over and over again. It's not that God's not communicating to us. It's that we don't want to hear him. And God says to him, quite frankly, that night he goes, Balaam, who are these men that are spending the night with you? So Balaam says, well, these are princes from Moab, and they've come, and they've come to ask me to go and to curse these people that have come out of Egypt. And God says to him, you're not to go with them because those people are blessed. You're not to curse them. That was the will of God. So what does Balaam do? And this is like the James passage. All of a sudden, we're drawn away. And then we're enticed. And then the desire is conceived. And the desire leads to sin. 
and then the sin leads to death. So you see it right here. So Balaam goes and he says, God says, I can't go with you. But he doesn't come out completely honest and say, the reason I can't go with you is because God wants to bless these people, not curse them. He never tells them that. So with the mindset of pagan princes, they go back to the king. And what do they say to him? They say to the king, he won't come. So immediately Balak thinks we need to up the ante. He's just saying that he's playing hard to get. We've got to scratch his back a little more, give him a little more. So they sent more illustrious princes. So what had happened is he had left the door open so that they come back to him again. And as they come back, they come back with a bigger purse and they come back with, with more distinguished princes and more numerous and more honorable. So Balaam is flattered once again. They, and he says, stay here. And let me see if the Lord has anything else to say about it. And so they spend the night again. And that is exactly what I did in my life for a year and a half. Oh, let me see if God has anything else to say about it. Surely he's changed his mind. Oh, surely. And then uh, six months later, let me go back and see what he has to say about it. Oh, my Squish, squish. No, he hadn't changed his mind. But you keep trying. So what he's trying to do is get God to change his mind so he can do what he wants to do because it would be very lucrative for him. And it would, and it would, uh, it would enhance his career. So what do we have? God comes to him, and God gives him his permissive will, not his will perfect will for his life for the purposes for which he made him he gives him his permissive will and his permissive will is go this is what you want go but I only can say what I give you to say now this is a little bit like our teenage children any of you have teenage children (laughs) and sometimes you will begin to think you've got a relationship built up with them and they'll say oh mom can I go can I go please let me go everybody's going and you say well honey I've got some reservations about that I don't think it'll be good for you I don't like the company you're with I'm not sure that that's the right place for you to be I just have real reservations I'm not I don't think you're supposed to do it mom mom and they keep on momming you and finally you say well all right And what you're hoping is that because of the relationship you have with them and their respect for you and respect for your wisdom as a mom, that they'll just say, oh, okay, mom. But what do they do? Then they tootle off and just go. And then many times exactly what you've said is exactly what happens. Well, that's the same because sometimes you just say, all right, if this is what you want, you go for it. But you will have to pay the consequences for your actions. But I would be wrong if I did not tell you that I do not think it's a good thing. That is what God is doing. He says, all right, if this is what you want to do, Balaam, you're going to go. You can go. But he said, this is not my will for you. So he gets up, and what has happened where he just had the princes lodge in his house, now he is going in the company of the princes of Moab. It's no longer just a thought. It's no longer just something lodged here. Now... 
And God is angry. It says God is angry. Because God in his foreknowledge knows what's going to happen. And so the angel of the Lord comes. And as the angel comes, he takes him. And and the donkey sees the angel of the Lord. But the prophet of God who prides himself on his ability to see and to see in the future. The prophet of God can't see the angel of the Lord. Because sin and disobedience clouds our vision. When we walk out of the will of God and are not doing what God asks us to do, we no longer can see the things that we could see before. And he could not see the angel of the Lord. And the Lord sends an angel to stop him in his way because he says it is perverse. Do not go this way. It is the way of death, not life. And the the donkey comes and he meets this and the donkey takes him into a field. And instead of saying, what's happening here? He doesn't say it. He beats the donkey. Then the donkey, the angel's right in front and there's two walls on either side. The donkey rams into the wall rather than get Balaam killed. And Balaam's angry. And he doesn't have the sense to say, what's God saying? Is he stopping me here? He just keeps on beating the donkey. And then the donkey goes, and the angel of the Lord stands directly in front of him so the donkey can go neither to the right nor to the left. And so the donkey just sits right down flat rather than let Balaam get killed, be killed by the sword from the angel of the Lord. And what God is trying to do is to stop Balaam from his sinful pursuit of doing his own will that will bring destruction. Ultimately, in his life, it does. Ultimately, when he finishes, 24,000 Israelites lose their life because he gets them seduced by the Moabite women. God is trying to stop him from destroying not only his life, but the lives of multitudes of other people. But he is so hard-hearted and so perverse that he wants what he wants when he wants it. Now, what is here that is drawing his heart to not seek the will of God? It is the world. It is the things of the world. And it is the things that tempt you and the things that tempt me. It is when you just jingle a little money and you say, Oh, Jesus, I sure do wish I had more money than month. Just one month. And we can begin to say, Lord, if we, I could do this or I could do that. And it's easier to begin to think of ways to make money rather than trust God. Make money rather than really cry out to the Lord to say, Lord, how do you want to do it? So that you and I come with a price. If the price is right, we will do anything if the price is right. And God will sooner or later make circumstances in your life and my life hard enough so that there will be a time where we will have to say, am I going for God or am I going here where it's much more lucrative? Because we, he wants to know what's in our heart. And that that looks so lucrative at the moment may be the very thing that damns our souls. Do you remember the story of Ernie Stewart? The missionary to, with, with WGM? And he was at Tenwick Hospital in Maasai country. And he went to establish a hospital in Maasai country in Africa. And it was very, very difficult. Very primitive. Very primitive road systems. It wasn't safe. To get there was very difficult. To work with the Maasai people was not easy. It was just very hard. He worked for two terms. And it was, he was the only doctor on call 25 hours a day. He was very tired. And they didn't have much response. They had lots of resistance. 
tons of physical needs, but not, not enough help. And he came home for furlough. And he came home and did a tropical medicine upgrade degree in Atlanta. And while he was there, he, a precious, godly man, precious, wonderful doctor, he worked with a group of doctors. And while he was there, um, he was such a good doctor, studying and working part-time with this group of doctors, they came to him. They said, Ernie, why go back to Africa? Don't do it. Let us give you $100,000 a year. You can work in our practice. You could take months-long trips and do missions trips back and forth to Africa whenever you want to. But just stay here with us. Your kids can go to the best schools in Atlanta. You'll have a good church. And you weren't very successful there anyway. I mean, it was just a lot of hard work and just... And so at that point in his life, he had to seek God. $100,000 good schools. $100,000 prestige. Or go back to the boondocks of Africa, the only doctor for how many of million people, maybe? Nobody know and nobody'd care. And the battle for Ernie Story's soul was fought at that point. Do you know what the miracle was? He said, I can't stay. <laughs> I got to go back. He called me. And if I perish, I perish. And if no work is produced, no work is produced. And he went back. Do you know what? God moved the third term. They average sometimes 10,000 people who find Jesus a year at Tenwick Hospital. It has kind of become the mission hospital in most all of Africa of what God can do. Community health goes out of that all over that area. God has used it not only as a hospital but a soul-saving station. But Ernie Stewart had to die that that work might be birthed. Balaam wasn't willing to. Balaam was not willing to die. They jangled a few coins in his pot, in front of his nose, and he was—he had a price. They sent some illustrious princes, and he said, "Sure, I, I can, I can equivocate with God. I kind of want God's blessing, but I don't want it to cost me too much at the same time." And do you know what? There is no place in all of Scripture for that kind of Christianity. It is all or nothing. Because we are not living for right here and now. We are living for all eternity. And we are living that your life and my life could be sacrificial, poured out love. That others might know Jesus. And that eternity might dif be different. And the time that you and I are going to enjoy our mansions and our lovely things. Are the rest of the billions of eons yet to come. Not now in this 70 years. We need to have Jesus stamp on our hearts, eternity on our eyeballs, so we see as God sees, and we do not sell our souls and the souls of others for a little bit of money. God is calling us today. And then, do you know, I read another missionary story, and it made me so sad. <laughs> and it was about a little couple in 1921 that went from Sweden to Africa. 
very difficult again. And, you know, and the, the little wife's name was Svi, S-V-E-A. And, and they went to people and the people didn't want them. They wouldn't let them come into the village. So they went up on a mountain or a hill and the two couples were there and, and the Robinsons and the Floyds and they were on the, and they, and the only person allowed to come up to them was a little slave boy who could bring food from the market to them. The, so he did. Every, every few days, this little slave boy would come up and he'd bring food from the market to them. And so that was the only person they were allowed to have contact with. The chief was absolutely adamant against the gospel. So little Sfi, the little wife, said, well, if this is the only one I've got, I'm going to win him to Jesus. So she did. Poor little slave boy led him to Jesus. Well, she got pregnant for her first baby. And she died in childbirth. And had a little girl, but the little girl lived, Aggie. Well, the daddy, David, was so brokenhearted. He said, God isn't working how I expected him. This isn't what I thought he would do. So he left the baby who was too weak to travel with the Robinsons, and he went back to Sweden. The Robinsons, malaria came and they both died. So an American couple took this little baby and raised her. And they raised her for Jesus. They were missionaries and raised her for Jesus. Do you know what? That little gal grew up. And do you know what happened to the one little slave boy that found Jesus? He went back to that community. God used him and he won that whole village to Jesus, which was 600 people. The 600 people won the surrounding areas to Jesus. And 120,000 Africans found Jesus from one little boy's testimony as he grew up and became the statesman for that people. Well, do you know through the, co- the, the sweetness of God, Aggie found out about what God had done. And she went to look for her father. And she went to Sweden with her new husband. They ended up in Sweden and found him. He was, had been married twice, um, was now living with a mistress. He lived in the slums of a city in, in a part of Stockholm. She was 73 years of age. And she said, Papa, it's Aggie. He said, I didn't mean to leave you, Aggie. Oh, she said, Jesus took care of me. And she said, Papa, Mama did not die in vain. There is a whole people group that knows him because you went to Africa. And because Mama went to Africa, why did you quit and turn your back on Jesus just because there was only one? And that day, she led him back to Jesus, an absolute dissolute alcoholic man, led him back to Jesus, and six months later, he died. God is asking us today, Is there any Balaam in your heart or mind? Has he said anything to you? He is a communicating God. Whatever he has said today, go back to that point and say yes. (laughs) Just say yes.
Don't tell him no. So God came. He saw the angel and he said, should I go? And he said, no, you go on. But you can only say what I'm telling you to say. And he blesses him. He he says they're going to multiply. The first oracle, the second oracle, he said they're going to triumph over the enemies. Third oracle, they're going to bless, be blessed spiritually, physically, every way they're going to be blessed. And then, then the you will not believe this, but in the fourth oracle of Balaam, do you know what? In verse 17 of chapter 24, all of a sudden the Spirit of God comes on this reprobate prophet and he says in 17, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not here. A star comes out of Jacob. A scepter shall rise out of Israel, shall batter the brow of Moab and destroy all the sons of Tumult. What God does through this recalcitrant prophet, he actually testifies to the one who comes from Israel, Jesus himself. You say, how is it possible? That is just a little inkling of what God wanted to do with the life of Balaam if Balaam had been faithful. But Balaam chose not to be faithful, but to turn his back because of the pull of the world, the attraction of the world, the attractions of things now instead of those things eternal. And so he, God in that fourth oracle, Balaam, testified to the ultimate coming of the Lord Jesus, if you can believe it. And then in chapter 25, when they, Balak was so angry, so angry, that, uh, that he had not cursed the people. He said, your God has kept you from honor. And then chapter 25, they are right ready to go into the promised land here across the Jordan and they're in Jericho. And what happens? Scripture tells us in, 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 uh, in Second Peter and in Revelation and in Jude that Balaam told Balak to have the people of Moab just invite the Israelites to their pagan feasts and their festivals to the God of Baal and that they could what they could not do in divination over them and in curses they could do in the seduction of their souls. So here they are poised to go into God, all God has for them and they are seduced by illegitimate sex right on the doors of Cain. And do you know, ladies, I tell you over and over and over again, you and I cannot let one little bit of sin in our hearts. That's why God says we need our hearts sanctified holy. And you and I can be poised for all that God's got for us. We're ready to go into the fullness of ministry, the fullness of that third trimester where he's going to bring out the fruit that we never could have imagined. And right as you get ready, the enemy will come in and he will come in sexual temptation that will pull you this way or pull you that way and you'll say not me not me and those of us who say not me we are the ones that he can pull down the first we have to guard our hearts and that that could not be done by divination was done by the seduction of the souls of the people of God and 24,000 people were killed because they intermarried with Moabites they didn't intermarry they just had sex with them on the at the mouth of the promised land 
And do you know that it will come in you to your life insidiously? You have to guard your heart in what you read. I have to guard my heart in what we watch. We have to guard our heart in relationships. If you are not in a happy marriage, if your marriage is struggling, if your husband is not meeting your needs, do not turn to sin. Do not turn to other people. Take that as the sweetest, best love gift from Jesus and tunnel your soul into the heart of God so that God becomes your husband and becomes your enoughness. And do not let the devil get you at one point. Turn your soul into Jesus and don't let him seduce you. And so that you end up just a statistic and everybody you love absolutely in agony of soul. God, and that is the state of our American church today. There's no difference in divorce rate. There's no difference in homosexual agenda. There's no difference in abuse. We don't make any difference because we're not holy. And God is saying to us today, you and I have to guard our souls. We cannot just play with sin. And we cannot play with human sexuality. We have to let God touch us. Or we will miss everything God has for us. You have to watch the internet. You have to watch relationships. If you're going into the pastorate, you're going to have to, you and your husband are have to stand guard together so that you protect your ministry and your marriage. And you're going to have to, there'll be sometimes in your soul, there'll be a little red flag that'll go up. And you're going to have to say, that's not right. And you're going to have to draw way back. Don't let any Moabites lodge in your heart. Or in your home. Don't let there be any Moabites in your home. Let there be a cleansing out. So you don't miss all Jesus has for you. Because of the seduction of your soul. It's a very serious thing. It's a very serious thing. It's where the church is. 60% of our men are into pornography. Pardon me. We need Jesus, women. We need Jesus to set us free and make us whole and holy. Now, it doesn't end there. Because do you know what? We want to say Balaam dies in chapter 31 because judgment comes on Moab and Israel actually, those that are left, destroy Moab. And Balaam's one of the casualties. He never got to spend all that money he made. He ended up a statistic. But do you know what? He is mentioned in three books of the Bible that were not to be like Balaam, who sold his soul. And there are two I like to read. How does God keep me? He can. Jude 1. This was the half-brother of the Lord Jesus himself. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. To those who are called, sanctified, and preserved. God wants to... Those of us who are called, sanctified, and preserved. That Jesus were called by the Father, were sanctified by the Father, and were preserved by the Lord Jesus. And then the end of that, that whole beautiful little book, is this beautiful doxology. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory 
with exceeding joy to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory, majesty, dominion, power, both now and forevermore. He can keep us, and he can keep those we love. We need to be called, we need to be sanctified, and then we're preserved by the presence of Jesus. Okay, then Revelations 2, 14. And this is to the church of Pergamum. And this church, he said, I know your works and where you dwell. It's a difficult place they live in Pergamum. Satan has his throne actually in that city. But you hold fast to my name. You did not deny my name. My faith, even in the days when Antipas was my martyr and was killed among you, you live where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you because you have those who hold to the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things offered to idols, and to commit sexual immorality. And then repent, or I will come to you quickly and will fight against you with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I will give hidden manna to eat. And I will give him a white stone. And on that white stone, a new name, which no one knows it except him who receives it. It doesn't matter where we live, even if we live like in Pergama, where the forces of the evil one were so great that God said that Satan had his throne there. God can keep you and I pure and we can keep he can keep us wholly his if we will let him and if we will give him all of us for all of him and he will feed us even in difficult circumstances he will feed us with hidden manna so our souls can not only survive but thrive but thrive. And then he's going to give every one of us a white stone with our new name written on it. Our name that signifies all that he will make us and all that we will become in the beautiful person of Jesus Christ. When I went to Hungary in February, Katie Beth and Shelley, her missionary co-partner, And I went on a prayer retreat, and we went to Havies. And while we were at Havies, Katie Beth brought each of us a little plate. And these were all the promises that we felt God gave us for hungry. Like, if you can look here, Katie Beth's home, (laughs) the seminary, the church in Hungary, English ministries, can you see them all in eyes of faith? The souls of the students with whom they're working. So we brought it home, and I've got it on my kitchen table. All the things that we're believing God for, for what he's doing in Hungary. We don't want to miss him. We don't want to get next to the Jordan and miss him. And then I got home, and I looked And I unpacked my suitcase. And do you know what I found? A rock in my suitcase. 
And I thought, Beth, I'm crazy, but did I? Surely I didn't pick up a Hungarian rock. <laughs> and then, do you know what? I thought, little Susanna gave this to me. She can't help but give. Because, and she doesn't know the value of things. So this was in her rock collection. She's four. So she gave me her very biggest rock. And I thought, this is my love gift from Susanna. And it sits right on my kitchen table. It's about one of the nicest presents I ever got. Because it was her love gift to me with all her heart. She didn't know whether it had value or not. It was an expression of her love. Do you know what God is talking to us today? He says, Bethy and everybody in Bible study, would you be not like Balaam, but would you have a heart like their children, like little Susanna, (laughs) that instead of fighting against my will for your life, would you come and give me not just a rock, but give me all of yourself as just a sacrificial love gift that you love me like I love you. Because God doesn't want to hurt us. God wants to bless us. It's the enemy who wants to keep us from all God has. Don't let's listen to him today. Let's pray. Jesus, we just pray to you right now for yourself. Would you let us not trifle with sin and lose our heavenly inheritance as well as the joy of loving you and walking with you here? Would you take every bit of the spirit of Balaam out of our hearts? Would you make us obeyers, but more than that, Would you make us lovers of Jesus Christ so that, Lord Jesus, we bring joy to your heart and are part of the purposes of God and not part of your problem. Today, Holy Jesus, would you come? Would you draw us to yourself? And would you set us free to love you with all our heart, with all our might, with all our soul and with all our strength in the name of Jesus.